We're combining all the best old school wisdom with all the top new school methods to bring you the optimal way to coach and play the great game of baseball. This is the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass with Coach Bo. Welcome, everybody. This is Coach Bo. Welcome. This is episode 61. I'm going to start off with a quote from the late great, and I say great with a lot of emphasis, the great John Wooden. This quote is awesome. This is something that we should probably say to ourselves or read before each and every time we go out to the field to coach. Here's the quote from John Wooden. This is my favorite John Wooden quote, and there are a lot of good ones from John Wooden. John Wooden said, quote, a good coach can change a game. A great coach can change a life. Wow, that's impressive. That's very meaningful. I'll read it again. John Wooden said, quote, a good coach can change a game. A great coach can change a life. That is something we should always keep in mind as we go out to the field. Do you want to be a good coach? Because a good coach will have a good winning record and the results will show up on the scoreboard. You can be a good coach based off of that, or at least the perception is you're a good coach. But according to John Wooden, and I firmly back this and believe in this, you can never be considered a great coach unless you're changing lives for the better. Helping lives, helping players get better at any level, whether that's 6U, 5-year-old, 7U, 12U, high school, junior high, college, and professional baseball. And we're going to get into that and talk about character in the part three of this episode. When we get into part three, we're going to talk about, I'm going to give you some specific quotes straight from Andrew Friedman, who along with his team in the Dodgers organization put together a fantastic team, a fantastic culture, and a fantastic environment. So take it from John Wooden. A good coach can change a game. A great coach can change a life. And we hit on this last week a little bit. I think that head coaches should have multiple records attached to their name associated with them. So if you have a college coach or a professional coach, they have a Wikipedia page and it has their head coaching record. Or you can see their win-loss record, their winning percentage on baseballreference.com. So you have that record, okay? And then I firmly believe there should be a record based off of how many players became better better people under their tutelage, under their mentorship, under their leadership. So if you have 12 players, how many of those 12 players became better people? Did they become better problem solvers? Did they become better at dealing with failure? Did they become better teammates? Did they become more disciplined? And did they get better with their respective skill and technique? So you take, let's say you're a high school coach and you have 18 players on your roster, 18 players on your varsity team. How many of those players became better people by the end of the year? And then there's your record for that stat. And I believe that is the most important stat. And I believe that stat will lead to more wins. See, they're not mutually exclusive. Raising the bar, having better team culture, having better quality players that you can bring out the best in your players and you create an environment that's a lot better and you create disciplined young men and women, better teammates, harder workers, people that deal with failure a lot better, you're going to win more. Absolutely. It's not mutually exclusive. In fact, it goes hand in hand. So say you have 18 players on your team as a varsity coach. How many of those players got better at the end? And then you say, well, now I get it. This is a little more subjective. It's a little hard to analyze this or compare it or even assess it with data and things like that. Although I truly believe you can give an honest opinion or an honest look at who got better as a person, who became a better person, who became a better individual from the start of the season to the end of the season. And now these improvements might be subtle. They're not necessarily going to be drastic and that's okay. Life isn't about making drastic changes. It's about getting incrementally better 
better each and every day. So you have 18 players, you have 12 players. How many of those got better as people, as individuals, and how many regressed? And there's your record on those. So was it, were you 12 for 12? Were you 18 for 18? Were you six and six? Or were you nine and nine? If you had 18 players, were you 500? And you could even keep it more simplified. And you could just assess your overall team culture and as one cohesive unit or one whole unit and then assess that. Did it improve throughout the year? Did it get better throughout the season? And I think that is so important. So I think there should be two records for each coach. And I think the one that gauges, assesses, that tells how many of the individual players improved as people, as teammates, as disciplined players, as hard workers, as players that improved with how they dealt with failure. I think that record to me is more important, much more important. And I also believe that record will lead to more wins. I kind of look at it like this. You hear about people or they get described as successful. Oh, he's successful. She's successful. And it's usually almost exclusively talking or it's exclusively regarding their income level and how much they make. It's Are they making a lot of money? Then they are deemed, quote, successful. And I'm going to throw it out there right now that I think, and this ties into coaching, it's this exact same kind of, a, it's a parallel. It's an exact parallel to what I was just talking about. I don't think you should qualify as somebody who can be called successful in society, successful by friends or acquaintances or family members. I don't think anybody can be considered successful if they are not good parents, solid family members. And that goes a lot of different directions with that. But are they there? Are they good parents? Are they raising quality kids? Not perfect kids because kids are going to do their own thing sometimes. But are they raising good kids? Are they taking care of their health themselves? Are they healthy people or do they have addictions? All right. And I'm not here to point fingers and, and act like a do-gooder by any means. But what I'm saying is I don't think you should be considered successful by society or successful in the coaching community if you haven't taken care of the other parts first. Like I would say you get disqualified. And so if you think about it, there's a lot of people we talk about, oh, they're so successful. They're so successful. I think the majority of those people would probably be disqualified because you look at their family life, their home life, their marriage, their health, a lot of other things. And it's terrible. It's piss poor. And so I think that's something to keep in mind moving forward with our society, but also more importantly in the baseball community. I don't think you should be considered a great coach if you don't have the majority, if not all of your players becoming better individuals, higher quality members of society. Now, for part one, we're going to get into some technique here. And I believe that the first thing, the very first thing that should be fixed, that should be adjusted, that should be improved, that should be optimized when it comes to the pitching delivery, when it comes to the hitters setup, when it comes to the fielders ready position, when it comes to the base runners ready position before the pitcher makes the delivery. I believe firmly that the first thing that should be fixed before even moving forward to anything else is the setup position, the setup position. Let's get them set up and ready to go. Now, with pitchers, there's a little caveat to this. When they're in the windup, the setup position is important. It's a little less important than it is in the stretch position because when you're in the stretch position and you're holding a runner on, your first movement, your initial movement in the stretch delivery to the release point is much faster. It happens much faster. They're a lot more connected. The windup can get a little funky. Now, I'm a huge fan of simplifying the windup. Simplify it. Don't let a lot of extra movement, big steps, all sorts of things. If pitchers want to go up over their head, you know, that's fine. As long as it's not something that becomes this theatrical display of artistic flair, get the setup position right. Now, what does that mean? Most importantly, that means you should, when you're coaching hitters or coaching pitchers, especially in the set position, which when runners are on, they're in the stretch position, they come set. That's a very important time. Every pitch is important, but when there's runners on base, you really got to be on your game. And with hitting, every setup is identical in a sense for the most part. Now, the setup position, most importantly, should be 50-50 with your balance. 50-50 
50-50 with your balance. That means 50% of your body weight should be on the front leg, 50, or I should say front leg or front foot. 50% of your body weight should be on the back foot, 50-50. That is good for every single player almost across the board. So set up your pitchers in the set position, 50-50. Don't have them leaning back or leaning forward. Have their weight distribution even. And the same goes with hitters. Have their weight distribution in their setup position, 50-50. All right, before their leg lift. So the hitters will have either a stride. Typically, they'll have a little stride or a leg lift and a stride. Very few hitters don't move their front foot, but you get if they did, then you can kind of adjust. But their setup position should be 50-50. Same with base running. I believe it should be a 50-50 balance, not leaning back towards the base and not leaning towards the next base. So if they're getting their lead off at first base, they shouldn't be leaning back towards first and they shouldn't have more weight on their right leg leaning towards second. It should be a nice 50-50 balance. So get your players 50-50. Infielders, there's a little caveat with infielders. They should be 50-50 left and right, but also 50-50 on the front and back, kind of the balls of their feet versus the heels. I believe that they should be 50-50 in terms of moving forward and back and also left to right. So get that ready position better first and foremost before moving on to fixing anything else. I think what happens is, and I've been around this a long time, what I've seen, and I made this mistake for many years, fixing things downstream on the delivery. Fixing things downstream, I should say first fixing or trying to fix things that were downstream when it came or when it comes to the hitter swing, etc. Get that 50-50 base. 50-50 base, get good posture. So you have 50-50 weight distribution and now you need to have good posture. Slight bend in the legs, slight bend in the legs. And when I say that, really it's in the knee. There's a little bit of bend in the hips. So a little slight bend in the legs, slight bend in the hips. A good way to get there is to have a hitter or a pitcher come to a completely straight up and down, perfect posture, not like getting ready to hit necessarily, just get their base at the right position, 50-50, and then have them get to the best posture they can be straight up, chin up, chest up, posture, core lock, glute activated, and then have them sink a little into their setup, their pre-pitch setup. So get the posture perfect first and then sink a little. In other words, bend the knees a little, bend at the hips a little bit and go from there. So 50-50 weight distribution, then get to a perfectly postured position and then adjust from there. Notice how I'm not talking about the arms and the hands because that's a lot of what gets talked about with the hitters and pitchers and all that. What I believe, number one, is that you got to fix the base. You got to fix the base and then you move up to the cord. If you're trying to get a tree healthier, you're not addressing the leaves and you're really not even addressing the trunk. What you're addressing are the roots. Fix the roots, that'll fix the trunk and then the leaves will take care of themselves for the most part. I'm not saying you shouldn't adjust hand position, elbow position, things like that, shoulder positioning, but fix that base, 50-50 balance, 50-50 weight distribution and then have your players stand with perfect posture and you may need to show them what that is because posture today with all the sitting we're doing, online school, video game playing, TV watching, electronic using, posture is not great in society, okay? I know about posture and my posture is not that great and I focus on it, I work on it and I'm aware of it and it's still not that great. So imagine a 14-year-old who's not thinking anything about that. What's gonna happen to their posture when they don't put it as a priority? So get the posture, get the feet 50-50 balance and then the posture All right, part two of episode 61, how to coach the hitting approaches during batting practice and hitting drills. So I got this question from the coaching staff, the St. Louis Rawlings Tigers reached out and they had some really great points to make and they, um, they're listening to this and that's awesome. And they, and it was a question about, you know, how would you best coach the hitting approaches during batting practice? And I thought it was an excellent question because coaching swing technique and tees and soft uh, overhand tie, you know, batting practice relative 
relatively well understood, but coaching the hitting approach, and here's what I would do. I would, first and foremost, perfect the hitting approach before I did a whole lot of overhauling with the swing. I would make adjustments to the swing, but I would do those in drills on the side. If you had, say, three groups for hitting, you had a cage group or a T group or a soft toss group, and then you had a live group, or you had different cages going and different stations going, you could have one that solely focuses on swing technique off a tee or off some toss or off a hit away. And then you get in there against live pitching. Anything that's getting the ball thrown game-like or relatively game-like, they need to be focusing really, really, really diligently on the approach and their hitting approach. And as coaches, this is the one thing, this is the one thing that I think I would helicopter coach with. That doesn't mean you're going to say something after every pitch, but it's actually going to be more praise than it is critique. And here's what I mean by that. So you're standing right behind the hitter. Say you're it's a batting practice or you're behind the uh, batting practice cage or they're in the batting cages and you're behind the cage. You should have a good angle as a coach on the pitch and where it crosses the plate. So that typically is right behind the hitter. As long as you can see around the catcher or whatnot, if there's anything in the way, you want to have a good angle to see where that pitch crosses the plate and the height. So not just up, it's really a lot of its height as much as anything. And from there, you're giving the player feedback on whether they are they should swing or they should have swung or whether they should have taken that pitch. There needs to be very clear awareness of what the strike count is. Less than two strikes. You should never, in my opinion, ever, ever take batting practice off anything when it comes to actual overhand throws or even hard underhand or machine pitch. The hitter should always, 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 always know if there's less than two strikes or if there are two strikes because that changes things. You don't need to get into 3-1, pitch, that. Don't get confusing up there. Hitting is super difficult as it is. I'm telling you, you don't. That's how baseball has been coached for so long. We need to get away from that. We need to have a less than two strike approach and a two strike approach. And the hitters should always know, is this less than two strikes? So I would say they should always know, hey, is this plan A or is this plan two? Now I've called it plan B before, but I also, I think plan two actually works a little bit better. You have plan A plan A. Looking for a pitch we can drive. If you haven't listened, I'm not going to get into the, the hitting approach right here. We've discussed it. I've discussed it at length. There are three episodes that are dedicated strictly to that. There's an audio article, an article that I wrote that I turned into an audio article a while back called The Three Hitting Approaches. I've broken it down. I've even talked about this, I think, a little bit on how to apply it out there. So are there any good hitting drills? Anything that involves a hitter hitting off live pitching or off the machine, anything they're hitting off pitches, this to me is absolutely paramount. They're hitting off pitches that are coming at them and they have to decide whether to swing or whether not to swing based off of what they can do with that pitch if it's less than two strikes or with two strikes, is that pitch near the strike zone or in the strike zone? Okay, so this would be the optimal hitting drill. The ideal hitting drill should be live hitting drills off of a hitting machine, off of a coach if or off another player. Live batting practice is fantastic. They should see as many pitches as they can and they should be up there working on the approach. And as a coach, you're giving them feedback. Hey, that's a good pitch. And and you'll be able to tell if it's a pitch they can drive. I mean, sometimes just straight from the results, just because they missed it or just because they fouled it off does not mean it wasn't a good pitch to swing at. It could have very well been a good pitch to swing at and they just didn't get it. And that's okay. What you're teaching is approach. The approach will lead to better results. That's the process. It will take care of itself. Swing at better pitches and you will get better results.
When it comes to, and this was the coach from the St. Louis Rawlings Tigers coaching staff, the 12, I believe it's 12U team. What's a good drill for hitters? Anything where they can work on swing technique off to the side, T work, things like that, where they can really work off. Now, one thing with a T that I would do is I would use the T almost exclusively to hit pitches that are challenging to hit. This would be something I would use. Now, their swing, the quality of their swing and their swing technique is going to look the same when they're in plan A or they're in plan two, where there's less than two strikes or there's two strikes. It's really right. Their swing's going to look very similar. They might slow down just a little bit with two strikes if they have to, if they get fooled on a breaking ball or fooled on a changeup. When you get fooled with two strikes, it's better to try to, at worst case, put the ball in play because if you don't and you swing through it and miss it, you're out. So you might as well try to put it in play. You might move some runners up or the defense might make some errors. So with the tee, what I would do is have the pitch. I would set the pitch up inside, maybe an inch to two inches off the inside. I wouldn't get too crazy with it, but maybe an inch off the inside part of the plate. And then I would also work on the outside, two inches off the outside part of the plate, three inches because we know umpires call this as a strike, especially at the lower levels. So work those pitches. I wouldn't work up and down as much. You could work some low, right? That might not be a bad idea with two strikes. Maybe work on some low pitches. I would lay off the high pitches just a little bit. Um, I think that should come with, you know, looking for a pitch you can really drive because pitches that are elevated are typically pitches that can be driven. So there should be a lot more work on those with less than two strikes with a plan A approach. But with the plan uh, B, the plan two approach, I love the T putting the pitches outside. Really challenge them to get out there. And what you're looking for is them not to just poke it. You're looking for them to try to drive that pitch because you're using a tee. There's not a game going on. Really work on it to try to drive some power in those pitches. Although in a game, you might just be looking to foul them off, but look for them to try to do some damage because then when the game comes around, worst case scenario, they might foul those pitches off and stay alive. So I like the T when you're working on challenging locations of pitches. Really like that. Had a lot of success over the years coaching players with that. I love working specifically the approach when it comes to live pitching, overhand pitching, batting practice, hitting off the pitching machine. I love it when the coaches sit there and almost after every pitch or every other pitch or every third, depending on how it dictates out, you respond with, yeah, it's a good pitch or that's not. And so then they start to go, okay, they have a good handle. Then your hitters will have a good handle on what pitches they should be swinging at. So it should be no doubt at what pitches they should be swinging at or not swinging at. So that's first and foremost, my biggest things when it comes to drills. Now you could use that in any drill, but coach the hitting approaches in any drill, unless it's off a tee. If it's off a tee or off a hit away or one of those stationary, you know, the ball stationary when they're hitting it. In that case, I would work those really tough to hit pitches with say two strikes. Okay, part three, Andrew Friedman. Baseball America voted him the executive of the year. And I don't know if they just give these to every executive that wins the World Series. Sometimes these awards are just kind of default. If you win the World Series, then you get all these awards. But in any case, Andrew Friedman, here are some quotes straight from Andrew Friedman in one recent Baseball America magazine article. This is what he's looking for when he puts his team together. Here we go. Friedman insists, and this is a quote straight from the magazine from Baseball America. And the article is by Bill Plunkett, Baseball America, Bill Plunkett. He did a great job with this article. So Friedman insists any successful organization can't be so wedded to the numbers, speaking of the data and the sabermetrics and the money ball, the analytical arm of the baseball ops, that it views its players as interchangeable robots. Quote, I think there are narratives out there in terms of if you use information to help guide decisions, but at the core of what we do, we're involved with trying to provide the 
best environment and culture for people to thrive. And I don't think that's different in any business. It was something that was really important to us when I was with the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays, and it's something that's really important to us now. I think when guys are more comfortable, they perform better. We've talked about this. And I think that stems from having honest conversations with people and just consistency of the message and everyone really being on the same page. It doesn't mean that we don't disagree, but I think culture is incredibly important to our organizational success. Then he goes on to talk about, quote, a lot of it stems also when he talks about using players with a lot of versatility, valuing guys who can do a lot of different things on a baseball field, specifically on defense and as pitchers. So having some versatility on defense and on a pitching staff. We see that with them. They, they interchange their parts defensively, and that can be really helpful for the lower levels, really helpful for any level. Then he gets back into talking about the culture. And we do a lot of digging on people's makeup and their work ethic, trying to get a feel for how they will fit in within our environment. Let me read that again. We do a lot of digging on people's makeup, players' makeup and coaching makeup. We do a lot of digging on people's makeup and their work ethic, trying to get a feel for how they will fit in within our environment. I think the overarching color is culture and environment in our front office, in our clubhouse. It's something that is extremely important to all of us and it's difficult thing to put your finger on and to quantify, but it's one of those things that when you have it, you know it. And when you don't, you know it in the most glaring ways, unquote. So there you have it. Major League Baseball's executive of the year, president of the year, Andrew Friedman, laying it out there. Go out there, fill your team with a bunch of good players, build a good culture. I think that's just great stuff all around. So we had a great coach to start. John Wooden said, a good coach can change a game. A great coach can change a life. We talked about fixing the hitters, pitchers, base runners, the infielders, set position first, getting a nice 50-50 balance, and then getting their posture good along with a good balance to start. When it comes to doing hitting drills, the emphasis should almost always initially be on the hitting approach and then patch together and work together off to the side when it comes to swing technique. And unless there's a really glaring issue with the swing technique, I wouldn't spend much time on it at all. And that is fixing the swing. I would get them to swing at better pitches first and foremost. And I would do that in any drill outside of like a T work or anything like a hit away kind of thing. And with those T drills, I would have them really working on pitches that are on the outer fringe inside that are really jammed them outside where they can barely reach it and down low, maybe on a changeup that fooled them a little and they got to drive through it. So working on those tough to hit pitches, really focusing on those tough to hit locations with two strikes because they shouldn't be swinging at those pitches with less than two strikes. And then Andrew Friedman, baseball executive of the year, laid it out. Team culture, team environment, bring in good people, fill your team with good people, good teammates. As always, it's a blast being here with all of you. This has been Coach Bo, and I'll see you next Tuesday, episode 62 with the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. And until then, take care of yourself, especially your health, take care of your families, and take this information and go out there and make the baseball community, make your team a better environment, a better place to be, make it a better baseball world. Bye for now. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.